All right, so turn to Matthew 6. I'm going to read it really quick. We're in a teaching series called Climb, going through the Sermon on the Mount. So if you're visiting with us, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. I think this is uh, like week number 17. Um, And so uh, in Psalm 24, it says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may um, stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift his soul up to idols. And that is what... I believe Jesus is after whenever he goes up that hill and starts teaching his disciples. He wants to see people come up the hill of the Lord, to stand in the presence of the Lord. So he's teaching all kinds of really good stuff. We've been in Matthew 5, which is where it starts, but now today we enter into Matthew 6. How many of you knew that? It's okay. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. At the end of Matthew 5, this is Matthew 6, 1 through 6. At the end of Matthew chapter 5, he says, Therefore, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And if you know anything about Scripture, when you see a therefore, it's there for a reason, right? <laughs> the reason it's there, the reason he says, Therefore, be perfect as your Father in his heaven uh, is perfect because he had just got through kind of dispelling uh, what I've been calling the hypocrisy uh, or the Pharisee hypocrisy or the Pharisee mentality. He's been addressing some of the false teachings, some of the misinterpretations of, of the law and, and Scripture, and really the, the model of a way of living for God um, that, that the scribes and the Pharisees and religious leaders have been displaying to the people, and that's all they've ever known, how to follow God, look to the Pharisees, but the Pharisees were really missing the mark. And so their, their understanding of how to follow God was based upon religion. It was based upon rules and deeds and works and all that kind of stuff versus relationship with God um, based on understanding who he is, based upon um, having the desire to please him and walking towards him and, and obedience and all that. So he says, therefore, you are to be perfect. Um, he, it's like he pauses. I want you to be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. We talked last week about how that means mature. Be mature. Grow up in all these things that I've just taught you so that you will be like your Father in heaven who is perfect, who is mature, who is the maturest. And then he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. This isn't the first time he says your righteousness. Remember he says, um, be careful. Um, He says, unless your righteousness is better than that of the righteousnesses of the leaders of the religious law and Pharisees, in other words, understanding God and walking with him, unless your righteousness is far above theirs, you're not even going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here he says, your righteousness again. This time he says, beware of practicing 
your righteousness, your life for God, all the things I've just got through teaching you. Beware of practicing those things in front of men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward. So he says, be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect, but be careful when you are walking in those things that you're not doing them to be noticed by men. And if I were to give a sermon in a sentence, it would be this. You can just write this down. So if you leave with nothing else, I hope you would leave with this. And that's this. You got your pen? Be good and do good for God. Okay? Be good and do good for God and for no one else. For God, what you, who you are, what you do, may it be for God and nothing else. If you hear nothing else tonight, that's a sermon in a sentence. Now, the thing is, is that I think Jesus knew something that was in their hearts and that's in our hearts that we may not know about ourselves. And if we did know this about ourselves, we probably wouldn't admit it because we think it's a bad thing. And that's this. And you can write this down too. People want praise. Okay, write that down. Every person wants praise. I want you to think about it. It's nice when people smile at us, right? We like it when people laugh at our jokes. We like that. In fact, some of us work harder to ensure that that happens, right? Thank you for laughing. We like it when our name is cheered from the stands. We like it when people applaud us. We like it, um, you know, there's a specific um, pleasure that we find in applause. That's just, that's just the way it is. And... Um, uh, and I don't think that Jesus is, is bothered by that because I believe that that desire for affirmation is something that he put in us. He himself was affirmed and applauded and, um, and given props before he was even born. Think about the prophet Isaiah over in chapter 9. It says, a child is going to be given to you. A son is going to be born. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Right? Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father. I mean, those are some serious props. Think about um, um, when the angel came to, to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby. You need to name him Jesus. And then it specifically says, he will be great. That's good news, right? It says that he will reign over Israel. And remember the time that, that um, Mary was pregnant with Jesus and she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and Elizabeth was actually pregnant with John the Baptist. And so they're coming together and, and they meet and it says in, in the Bible, it says that, um, that John the Baptist started moving around and kicking and leaping around inside of Elizabeth's belly. And Elizabeth looked at her and prophesied. The Lord showed her, revealed to her, you are blessed among women because you carry the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've never been called Lord. <laughs> How many of you have been called Lord? He was called Lord before he was even born. I've been trying to get my wife to call me Lord for years, and I can't figure out how to do it. If any of you guys figure that out. Okay, so Jesus, Jesus knows. I mean, think about even after he was born. The, it says that the, the shepherds came and worshipped him. It says that the wise men came and brought him gifts and also worshipped him. And as he grew up, remember when he was 12 years old, he was teaching in the temple, and, and the people were like, man, where does this kid get this wisdom? I mean, this guy really knows his stuff. That's some serious props that he was getting from them. And then certainly as he began his ministry, as he was healing people, as he was raising people from the dead, 
And even here, whenever, you know, he starts teaching to the multitude that day, at, at that time, as strange and new as his words were, as difficult as they may have been to hear, the people were moved by what he was saying. And they were mesmerized by this teaching, even though it's like, what? This is nothing like I've ever heard. But they were mesmerized and they were kind of latching on to it. I'm like, who is this guy? This guy's the bomb. And I wouldn't doubt if maybe he picked up on their admiration and he saw um, that fleshly spark in their eye and maybe even read their thoughts and maybe some of them were thinking, this righteousness is going to be all the rave. This is going to be the stuff. This righteousness, this is going to get me finally noticed and recognized. It's kind of like, and let me give you an example of what I mean. It's like the effect that Michael Jackson had on the world. Okay, can you stick with me just for a second? Can you put that picture of Michael Jackson? Yo. It's like the effect that Michael Jackson had on the world. You can't tell me that people thought plastic pants and a single sequence glove was normal. You guys know what I'm talking about? He hits the scene wearing the stuff he's wearing, and it's like, what is this guy doing? I can remember... Um, I can remember seeing that whole thing for the first time is in, in third grade, Miss Robinson's class. I can remember Sean Pike, who was actually my best friend at the time. He walks in, and he's got these parachute pants on. You guys know what I'm talking about? You do if you're over 30. Okay, he's got parachute pants on and a white glove. He obviously couldn't find one with sequins on it, but he found a glove that was white, and he had it on, and he was holding a Michael Jackson thriller tape. okay. And I remember, I can remember, I can see the picture. He was at the back of the room, right by the door. And I remember going, what's up? Everybody was around him. And other people had on parachute pants too. Guess who didn't have them on? Okay. I didn't know. Okay. So I walk over there. And what is this? And they, they're talking about Michael Jackson. And they, sh- they have this tape. And this tape has him kind of bent over. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Okay. And they're talking about all this stuff. I'm like, that's not Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson is that cute little boy that's got the little puffy afro and, and you know, it's got all the little birds on Jamer. You know what I'm talking about? That's Michael Jackson. And I was thinking about that song, Ben. You guys remember Ben? Ben, the two of us. You remember that song? It was about that rat. Remember that movie? How many of you saw that movie? Yeah, and then they made another movie like Willard or something later and the rat was actually giant and ate people. Anyway. And so that's the Michael Jackson that I remember, okay? He went from Ben to beat it. I'm watching this, and he's, you know, he went from little birdies to PYT. <laughs> and I can remember thinking, I'm not kidding, I'm, I'm telling you this, this came to my mind this week. I remember literally someone goes, have you heard that new song called Billy Jean? I'm like, I don't know, but you need to take off that trash bag and put on some jeans. I can, really, I can remember, and if I'm going to wear one single glove, it's going to be a baseball glove. It's not going to be that mess, you know? But think about how that hit the culture. In fact, look how it hit the culture. This is what we began seeing. Go to the next slide. That's what we began seeing, people dressing like that, okay? The only thing that I connected with, with that whole thing, was the music, because it was different, it was good. I, I did finally connect with it, but the main thing was the moonwalk. I was digging that. There was something special about that. I still like to moonwalk. My kids like to moonwalk. We will ever 
be moonwalking. Anyway, so that's, that's my example of that. My point is, is that Jesus may have been discerning what the people were thinking. Man, people would probably really admire me if I was actually able to live the way that Jesus is teaching us to live. Okay? Some sort of shift. Man, if I could actually live like that. Because remember what I said. Every person wants praise, which means that every person needs a platform for praise. Every person needs a platform for praise, something that will lift us up enough for others to take notice, some sort of stage that might bring us the applause of men. And that's why Jesus warned them. He said in verse 2, he says, Give to the poor, duh, Give to the poor, but don't do it to be honored by men. And then in verse 5, he says, Pray to your father, but don't do it to be seen by men. And after both of those, he says, that's the way the Pharisees do it. And that's something that we've been talking about. Again, this Pharisee mentality. That's all they had known was the mentality that had been given to them by the Pharisees. He says, don't do it that way. That's the way the Pharisees do it. And believe me, they have received their reward in full. I don't know if you noticed it. He said that both times they have received their reward in full. In other words, that's all they get. That is the extent of their reward. That's as far as it goes. The praise of men, it stops there. If you're writing things down, write this down. The praise of men is a dead-end street. The praise of men is a dead-end street. We take that turn, hoping that'll get us to where we want to go, that'll meet that need, that'll do something in us, but it won't and it never will. Why? I like the way uh, Eugene Peterson writes this verse, Matthew uh, Matthew 6, verse 1, the way he writes it in the message. He says, be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. In other words, you don't make those good things your stage. He says, it might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. I'm going to give you a statement here, and it's kind of Yoda-esque, but write it down. I think you'll see what I mean. The only praise worth receiving comes from the only one who is worthy to be praised. Let me say it again. The only praise worth receiving comes from the one, the only one who is worthy to be praised. And I'm going to show you a little bit more what I mean. But listen, God created us with the desire for approval, the desire for affirmation, the desire for for applause. There's nothing intrinsically evil about that. God created us with that. But his idea was for those affections to come first and foremost from him. Well, if you've ever thought in these realms, we usually take this verse and we kind of maybe preach on, you know, giving to the poor. And, and that's, he's, he is teaching something there and praying. And we'll talk about that next week. Our Father, it's out in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We'll talk all about that. But the main point is that he, uh, Jesus is really trying to tell the people, there's something in you that is longing to be met, and that is affirmation. That's all good. Just know that if you're going to be good 
and do good, may it be for God. End of story. I love that Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. I think he understands that our righteousness, our deeds, our actions, who we are as Christians is going to be seen by men. How many of you raised your hands during worship? I did. I couldn't help it. (laughs) I wanted to praise. There are people that raise their hand to be seen by men. But just because that would happen doesn't mean I shouldn't raise my hand. Amen? And he's talking about that dynamic. But he does understand our righteousness is going to be seen before men to be noticed by them. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Beware of serving the poor. Beware of lifting your hands. Beware of, you know, beware of that to, to be noticed. You're going to do it in front of men. Just make sure that when you do it, that that's not your motivation, is to be noticed by them. Not one person that we could ever try to impress is worthy of the praise that God is worthy of. Amen. And I love that because Sean was singing about that. You are worth it all. You are worth it all. And I was in Moore, Oklahoma this week, and we haven't really had a time to connect, but the songs he picked, I, I believe, prepped the atmosphere for what God wants to sow in our hearts through the Word tonight. So thank you, Sean. Sean always hits it, doesn't he? because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we give Sean just a slight, not too loud. We don't want him to, no, <laughs> just kidding. No, I'm kidding. So listen, remember what I said, the only praise worth receiving comes from the only one who is worthy to be praised. Now I want to give you really quick um, what I'm going to call the progression of promotion, okay? And you'll see where promotion comes in, but the progression of promotion, so you can write that in really quick. The only praise worth receiving comes from the only one who is worth being praised. First thing I want you to write down is this. God gave us his hand because he loves us. And when I say hand, I'm talking about his salvation. You can write that in there. God gave us his hand because he loves us, his salvation. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah says, um, hearing from the Lord and, and for the people, heard God say to the people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. There is a love that God has for his creation, his people, that doesn't run out. It lasts forever. It's an everlasting love. In Exodus 6, this is him dealing with the people of Israel as he's pulling them out of Egypt. But this is obviously a type and a picture and a shadow of what he was going to do through um, Christ. Moses was a type of Christ. He was a picture of what Christ would do. Pull his people out of the world and rescue them, redeem them. And he says, I will redeem you. I will save you. I will rescue you with an outstretched arm. He gave his hand, his arm, because he loved us. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In Psalm 18, verse 16, it says, He reached down from on high and took hold of me with his hand, obviously. He drew me out of deep waters. And then Isaiah 59, 1, that very, um, very popular scripture, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Okay, so this worthiness that we're talking about, this worthiness comes to us in the realization that he is the only one that has ever loved us with an everlasting love, an unconditional love. He's the only one that had the means, the vision for, and the means to provide the salvation that he provided through his son. Okay, so that's, he's worthy. 
You guys hear what I'm saying? He gave us his hand because he loves us. He saved us. He is worthy. So my attention, all attention can go to him because he is worthy. Joel 2, 32, Acts 2, 21, Romans 10, 13, which is usually where we quote it from in Romans when Paul says it. But all of them are saying the same thing, and that is this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The prophet Joel said it first. <laughs> he gets the credit. Okay? But I want you to know that. He is worthy because he has loved us with an everlasting love, and he has provided salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed. Mar- uh, Marvin earlier said that he endured the cross. The joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was our salvation. I believe pleasing the Father and knowing that we were going to be saved, he endured that cross. He is worthy to be praised. Amen? He's worthy to be praised. Everyone who calls on the name will be saved. Now, if you've called on the name of the Lord and you've been saved, you've been born again of the Spirit of God, then it leads us to two. Remember I said this was a progression of promotion. Number two, we give God, uh, God gave, his hand, gave us his hand because he loved us, his salvation. We give God our hands because we love him. That's talking about our devotion. Okay? He saved us because he loved us. Because we love him, we devote ourselves to him completely and wholly. Our hands are lifted up to him. When we lift our hands to him, it's of two things. One, as a gesture of blessing and praising him, but also as a way of surrendering, saying, um, take all of me. I devote everything to you. Psalm 92, verse 4 says, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. And it says, I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. I kind of want to insert so right there, but it says not to do that to the Bible. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll write my own translation and insert so. But I read it like this For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. So, in response to that, because of that, I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. What were the works of his hands? The salvation that he wrought. Amen? You guys listening? Are we on the same page? Okay. Because I'm on page 791. Anyway. (laughs) Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And... Colossians 3, 23, Paul says something very similar. Whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as though you were doing it for the Lord and not merely for people. Remember when Jesus says, do these things, uh, serve the poor, give to the poor, and pray to your Father. Remember in both of those instances, he says, do it in secret. You know what that's, that's really um, uh, indicative of? You know what he's really talking about right there? He's talking about our motive. Do it with the motive of not being seen. Do it in secret. We get that we can't always serve the poor in secret. In fact, most of the time when we serve the poor, it is some sort of public way. And there are times where maybe it's at church, maybe it's a small group, maybe it's um, in front of your family at nighttime that you pray to the Father and it's in front of your kids or it's in front of the congregation or whatever. So obviously, he's talking about something different. He's talking about our motives. He's talking about what motivates us in secret equals motive. Now listen, uh, it's interesting tonight, maybe even more than, than ever, but we always have um, people from ministries here, YWAM, Team Mania, um, different ministries. Um, it's just inevitable. People that 
maybe for a season they're going on mission trips or whatever, but for some reason they're training. They're, they're in discipleship training. They're learning how to serve God. And so more than likely, there is some sort of desire for ministry. And let me just say this. This is huge for you. And maybe that's why there's a big group here tonight of, of young ministers, people that are embarking upon the world. I'm going to write, you, want, you write this down, okay? Write it down. I like that. That guy was like, damn, I'm going to write that down. Our ministry is only as right as our motive. We're talking about righteousness, right? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not even going to enter into the kingdom of God. As it relates to ministry, which really uh, is just works of service. When we have anything that we do, remember, anything your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord, do it with all your might. So ministry is any kind of acts of service, but I am speaking specifically right now to those who are wanting to enter into ministry. Maybe do what I do, or what Marvin does, or what Sean does, or maybe you're going to be a youth pastor, or a children's pastor, or you're going to do some sort of missions work, whatever. Listen, ministry, our ministry is only as right as our motive. Paul was talking to the church at Philippi, and he says, finally, brothers, finally, um, born-again believers, ministers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, I love that, if there's anything worthy of praise, he says, dwell on these things or devote yourself to these things. Whatever those things are, if there's anything that's worthy of that, Devote yourself to that. Dwell on that. Um, Just wrap your brain and your body and your heart around those things. He goes on to say, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Some of the similar language that Jesus uses. When you practice these things I just taught you, when you practice them, he's saying essentially the same things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And what will he be doing? He will be affirming, and he will be applauding. He will be praising you. Again, our performance has to be for an audience of one because only one has ever been worthy of praise, and that's God, the Father. The third thing is this. Remember, we're on a progression, a progression of promotion. God gave us his hand because he loved us. Okay, he is worthy because he's the only one that could ever have brought us salvation. Thank God. I needed it, and you probably did too. We give God our hands because we love him. Talking about our devotion. Talking about our motives. Talking about the, pure, uh, the purity of our ministry. And the third thing is this. God gives us a hand because he likes us. Our promotion. Now, this may sit funny with some of you, but I want you to just listen to me. God gives us a hand, and that's just a play on words. Give him a hand. All right, you guys have heard that expression? Give him a hand. Okay, so God applauses. He applauds us. He gives us a hand because he likes us. I want you to hear those words specifically. He likes us. And this speaks of our promotion. In Matthew chapter 25, he's teaching and He's given this parable and he says, he's talking about a a master and a slave and those who serve him and some did a better job than others. They all served him, but some um, served him and, um, you know, just really pushed in and pushed through. 
It says that the master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Some of your versions say, Enter into the joy of your master. I love that because that's a picture of of um, celebrating together. It's a picture of, of us applauding him and he's applauding us and it's one big happy family. Let's celebrate together as entering into the joy of God himself. Okay, but I want you to notice something about this. And this is the first time I've ever really saw this or noticed it this way. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, servant is, I'm not an English major, but if I'm wrong, correct me. But servant is a noun. That would be the noun in the sentence, right? And if I'm, if, my education serves me well, which I never really served my education well, so I don't know why it would serve me well. But. Servant is the subject, okay? So servant is the noun, and it's the subject, okay? So servant is a very important part of this, but there's also two adjectives used to describe that servant, and that is good and that is faithful, And I believe that there's times where God calls some servant and he calls some good and faithful servant. There are people, uh, let me just say it this way. I think God has agape love for everybody. Agape love that, that translates unconditional love. It doesn't matter. I love you. But there's a, there's a love in scripture that's translated uh, tender affection. And that's the word phileo. And there's a disciple that he gives that, well, the disciple kind of gives it to himself, but it's in the canon of Scripture, so we have to trust that God was okay with it, right? And that's the, that's the disciple John. I want you to think about this. Listen, God, and I'm, I'm, you can write this down real quick. God has agape for everyone, but reserves phileo for those who looked to him or looked to him for their applause. Let me say it again, and let me explain. God has agape Unconditional love for everyone, but reserves phileo, that tender affection, for those who look to him for their applause and not men. And I want to show you what I mean because you can really see it in the life of the disciple John. You can go and read about his life, but I'll give you a couple of highlights. There's tons. There's more highlights than I even know what to refer to. But we're talking about the disciple John, whom Scripture in several times in the book of John says um, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, consider this guy. More than likely, he was the youngest, which afforded him the closest place to him at the table when they would dine, because that was the place where the youngest would be. But he wasn't just there. It says that he leaned in to Jesus, that he would lay his head on the chest of Jesus. In other words, I'm taking and giving all my affection to the Lord. You can picture the scene. I think most of the Last Supper depictions are of that. John is the one that leaned in. He was also usually, um, um, well, he was the first at the tomb. I don't know if you remember this story, but he was the first one, first of the disciples at the tomb of the resurrection. He was uh, a woman who who was there first and, and all that, but whenever she came and told the disciples, it was a foot race between Peter and John. And John turned up the heat and got there first. I don't know. Could have been because he was younger, but maybe he just loved him more. I don't know. 
know if you've ever thought about this, but John was the only disciple that made it to the cross. He's the only one that went to the cross and that was there and watched and saw. All the other ones ran. And because of that devotion, because of that pressing in, he was, some people may not see this as a promotion, but he was promoted from tender affection for disciple, um, someone that had walked with me for three years. He was promoted from that to the caretaker of Jesus' mama. That doesn't sound like, believe me, it's a promotion. Jesus loved his mama. You know what I mean? How many of you care about your mama you want her taken care of? He looked down and said, this is your son, this is your mother. And he basically expressed that, I'm leaving and you're going to take care of my mom. And so that was his job. It was a promotion, believe me. And you know what? Uh, I've shared some of this before, but um, all the other disciples, once they finally came around and came to their senses and came back and got filled with the Holy Spirit, they all started, they were saving the world. They were going everywhere and doing all those things. Well, guess who wasn't? Guess who wasn't getting to be in ministry? Guess who wasn't getting to have the platforms for all the praise? John. Why? Where was he at? He was with Mama. He stayed back, but you know what? He was faithful with it. And he trusted what Jesus said. And he gave everything he had to take care and to taking care of Mama Mary, Mother Mary. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? Guess who was the disciple that was allowed to live the longest? John. And then most importantly, to me, this is the biggest promotion of all. John is the disciple who got to receive the greatest known revelation from God ever, ever, okay? That was my sandlot, okay? He was promoted. I mean, even we were talking about this with my kids the other day. Everybody was trying to kill John. They couldn't kill him. They did everything they could to kill him. They poured hot oil on him or whatever, uh, tar on him. They tried everything. Finally, he was like, we can't kill a guy. Let's go put him on that island by himself. He's like, well, can't kill me. So, you know, John's there. He's like, geez, here I am again. And that's where God gave him that revelation. I'm telling you guys, it started with a disciple who leaned in, who showed up at the cross, who obeyed even though it wasn't the highest profile task. But in the end, he was promoted like no other disciple. You guys hear what I'm saying? This is huge. He gives us a hand. I believe he was... In the same words that Jesus, God's very own son, heard, well done. This is my son who I'm well pleased. And those are the words that we hope to hear at the end of our life. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't want to just hear, well done, uh, servant. You know, in, in I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, it talks about uh, this whole motive thing and, and serving. It talks about um, um, your deeds and stuff being like wood and hay and stubble. Uh, wood, wood, hay, and stubble, I guess how you'd say that, or precious gems. And your works will be tested by fire. You know, and it's not even so much about what you're doing that's being tested. It's your motives. It says on the other end of that fire, 
You'll, you, you know, you'll make it into heaven, but whew, just barely. Only as one escaping through the flames. We don't want to be just a servant. We don't want to be just someone that makes it in, barely missing the flames. We want to be the guy that's like in there and God's like, Woo, come on in here. <laughs> Amen. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord that he may exalt you at the proper time. Exalt or promote or lift you up. And I wrote this down. You don't have to write it, but I'll say it. God will give us a hand when we give him ours. It's a great way to end. Like, have you, have you really given the Lord your hands? Everything. I can remember walking for one year, almost to the day, one year, a saved human being, a born-again human being that still had my hands closed. I was a servant, but I was not even approaching being a good and faithful servant. And there was another experience that I had, a letting go. Some would call it being baptized with the Holy Spirit because it represents being completely immersed, nothing untouched by the Spirit. Where I said, God, I I literally said these words, God, I give you everything because I was tired of holding on to so much. And that's when things, you can't even imagine the things that the Lord started doing in my life. I was 20 years old. And some of you have been crying out for that. Where are your hands at? Are they, are they extended? Are they open? That's what the Lord's saying. I want to read one more scripture and then we'll be done. In John 12, 42, he's talking about all the stuff that Jesus is doing. And it says many people did believe in him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, uh, many people did believe in him however, including some of the Jewish leaders. In other words, there were some of the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders that believed in him, actually. I believe this stuff. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. It goes on to say, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Be good and do good for God. Nothing else. Be good and do good for God. Let's stand. I want to pray for you.